Church, are you ready getting the word? Are you ready getting the word? Who's hungry for the word? You know, one of the things, the many things I love about this house is it's a generational house. It's a generational house. It's not just full of younger people or just full of older people or, or families. Or It really is. We have people from different tribes, nations, and tongues, and generations. And uh, I believe that's a true expression of the house of God. So um, I was, uh, we were sitting in a, in a leaders and eldership meeting yesterday, and, um, and I was listening to John Washko and uh, Mike Stevens talk. And I just had this kind of this moment where I realized the things that they were most excited about in the natural, they won't actually be here on earth to see the fullness of. Because what they were excited about and what they were talking about is a generation that they would never naturally meet. And the plans that were exciting them and the things of if we do this and we do this, it will get us to here. And I had this moment where I thought, well, that would be like 15, 20, 25, 30. And then I thought, maybe I won't be here. I love this. Society grows when men plant trees they know they will never sit in the shade of. I'll say that again. Society grows when men plant trees they know they will never sit in the shade of. And that is there's something about generational thinking where we start planning for a generation that we will never meet. John says, there is no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. There is no greater joy than to see a generation being raised up to know and love and serve God with their whole being. And this is what this, the things that we are planning for and, and, uh, and preparing for in this season is to to pour into the generations to come, but and at the same time, equipping the one that's in front of us. Amen? And that's each one of us in this room. So that's what we're talking about, uh, the things we are. So this morning, Mike Stevens is going to come and share. Are you ready to hear from Mike? Can we, if you're able to stand and you'd like to stand, you can. Otherwise, just fake it. Just stay sitting down. You'll be fine. Thanks. Father, we thank you for Mike. We thank you for the gift that he is to this house. We thank you for Penny, Lord, and the grace that you put on her and, and that she gets to live with Mike and that you give her lots of grace, Father. And we just thank you for the anointing that's going to flow out Mike today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. What a deep privilege I have to share the word of God with us this morning. The Bible says there is a moment coming when the bride will have made herself ready. I want to talk about the bride making herself ready. Sila. You and I are called in this bridal relationship with the Lord Jesus to make ourselves ready for a day that will provoke his great return. And even as we celebrate the first coming in a couple of weeks' time, we're mingling it with the second, the greatest moment of history. So let's pray, Father. Tenderize us in our hearts, Holy Spirit, with the fire that melts like wax. Holy Spirit, intensify the passion for the love of the man, Christ Jesus, by pouring out your love onto our hearts. Holy Spirit, deepen us in the revelation of the understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom. Holy Spirit, we receive your anointing to empower us for the works of Jesus, that he might be glorified. Amen. I want us to hear the word within the word. I want you to hear a voice that's speaking from the word. 
and then for grace to respond and to obey that word so that it becomes flesh in us and it's lived out in our life. I want to show you a picture of some 54, five years ago of a young couple that got married. As you can see, I've not changed a little bit. And as Penny got ready for this great day, there was a lot of costly and exciting preparation. There was the dress, of course, which you see there. Still in the closet, I think. And then, of course, there was the, the shoes. And then the veil with its little queen's crown there. And then, of course, was the bouquet and the flowers and the video and the preparation of the service and the reception and the food. Yeah. And the more we prepared, the more excited we became. But the more costly it became. <laughs> not just in money. Not just in money, but in time and emotion and striving for peace and fighting those things that would hinder the preparation. That was part of the And finally, the great day comes. Now we're talking about the church. We're talking about you and me. We're talking about life church. We're not talking about something 54 years ago. Sila. And the moment has come. And she is all about me. And I am all about her. I am enraptured by her. I am caught up with her. And she is caught up with me. And the moment has come and there she is standing. And I'm standing here waiting for her to come. And there's a trumpet sound. she glides down the aisle. Her feet don't touch the floor. And her eyes, like dove's eyes, are focused on me. She doesn't come in her jeans. She doesn't come down waving at this person and that guest. She's fixed on I want to share with you from the parable that was the last parable Jesus spoke to us and his disciples before the crucifixion. Comes in Matthew 25, if you'd like to turn there. At that time, what time? At that time, shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took the lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took the oil in their vessels with their lamps, and while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Slumbering and sleeping in this particular parable is not a bad thing. It's just showing the rhythms of life. 
There are three parables, actually, in Matthew 24 and 25, because it's one teaching. All three parables are directing us towards the state of the church before the return of Jesus. All three parables are actually describing the condition of believers. One way or the other. The first parable, which we read in Matthew 24, is describing the preparedness and the readiness those who are faithful as distinct from those that were unfaithful and the consequences of both. And that first parable actually discusses the fact that the coming of Jesus was quicker than they expected. And the second one, which we're looking at this morning, is discussing the choices between the wise and the foolish, and the consequences of those choices. And in this particular parable, this second one, Jesus, as we've already just read, shows that there would be for these people, it was a longer time than they expected. You see, some people are more conditioned to the quickness of the coming and others conditioned to the delay. But there are influences, whichever it is for you. I'm actually embracing both. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he came in the next 20 years and I got to see him, be part of him, or maybe my children or my grandchildren. But what hour do you think we're at? You see, the plans of today are critical, provided that they're made in the light of tomorrow. Understanding the overall grand purpose of God, which is what we're looking at right now, has minute detail in the way you plan for 2022. They're correlated. That's why it's important for us to read the word of God so that we get envisioned with understanding. And the third one is about the diligent versus the lazy. And they're all about preparedness and preparation in the context of prayer. Ten times it comes, watch and pray. Stay awake. And pray. Don't go to sleep. But pray. So prayer seems to be the ingredient that is necessary for the preparedness of this wonderful bride. Of which you and I have been invited into. Hallelujah. The lamp. What's this lamp about? Well, there's an old-fashioned one. We didn't have electricity in these days. But there's the lamp. Uh, and you see the flame brightly burning. Why does the flame burn? Because the oil is inside the lamp. Can you see the oil? How do you know there's oil there? Because the lamp is lighting and shining. And in between the lamp... And the oil inside and the flame on the outside is what we call a wick. And Jesus takes this simple everyday picture to teach us wisdom and understanding. The oil is your inner life. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the outer is that which he's called you to reflect and to light and to illuminate and to serve in your life. The oil is the power. It's the fuel. The light is utterly dependent upon the oil. And your life, your works of service, your marriage, your work, your everyday life as a single or a married or as a divorced is dependent if it's going to shine 
with the purpose of God, it must be linked to the inner oil. Would you agree with that? So simple, isn't it? And yet so hard. See, the inner is invisible. Sila. Let's look at verse 6 to 9. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept, and at midnight there was a cry. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out and meet him. Hmm. To go out, they left one place and met him at another. And the foolish said to the wise, Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there's not enough for us and you, but rather you go and sell and buy for yourselves. In other words, give up something to gain something else. Sacrifice. Wise decisions. Do you know that God has anointed you with an oil of wisdom. That wisdom that comes down from above and is all embraced in this great salvation. We have wisdom, but we cry for more. For as it was prophesied this morning, these are days where we as the church have been equipped with great wisdom and great discernment to know how to live. Isn't God so kind to us? So this five foolish ones, they recognize their mistake. Why were they foolish? They didn't prepare is a good answer. What was the lack of preparation? Internally, but, but, but what was it that they lacked? The oil. Now, it wasn't that they didn't have the oil. The foolishness was that they didn't choose to replenish the oil that was used up. That's the point of stupidity. Thinking that we can work the works of God without the power of the Spirit. But we have the power of the Spirit, but we need continually to be being filled. Lest our works become dead. You know how you can smell a dead work? The wick is burning. And it smells of hypocrisy. The will of God is that you be continually being filled by the generous, overflowing, uh, un unrelenting outpouring of the Spirit of God into your life. If you see love. We get trapped into busyness. We get so excited by the fulfillment of working for Jesus in little ways and in large ways, that suddenly one day we wake up and we go out, but we fail to realize the presence is diminished on the inside. Remember Martha? Dear Martha. You know why she was dear? Because Jesus called her Martha, Martha. When you get a double name like that, it means Martha. Oh, my dear Martha. Mike, my dear Mike. Jane, oh, my dear Jane. Oh, Suzanne, my dear Suzanne. Martha, Martha, you're troubled, distracted by the busyness of your life. And here I am. You have been chosen to entertain the Christ. 
that you're busy in the kitchen and your attitude is a fuming smell because the oil's gone, Martha. But Mary chose the better part. Now, we do need Mary and Martha. But we need both of them sitting at the feet of Jesus. Selah. The reason why we get, I get, and have done most of my life, so caught up with the outside, so caught up with the works, because it's more satisfying to the soul. When you see you've done something and you've accomplished it and you've checked off your ten things on your list, you go to bed and you think, it's been a good day. God says, has it? For you or me? And so we get satisfied by the outer at the expense of the intimacy of the inner. Listen, the end of the story is a romance of bridal beauty that you're called into. I feel for you widows. I'm sure we all do. I feel for some of you singles. I anguish for some of the divorced in this room. Well, could I encourage you? Embrace Jesus as the spouse. You see, we can be a bright and shining light to others. The tragedy is, I found sometimes in my life, is the relationship that is flowing with the oil that I'm enjoying with this brother, suddenly his oil ran out and I feel abandoned. Or maybe somebody that I was friends with and I failed to maintain because I failed to replenish. Look at verse 9. Give us some of yours, said the foolish no, said the wise. Oh, wait a minute, brother. Aren't we supposed to be generous? Aren't we supposed to give? Why don't you give to me? You, you've got plenty. What kind of Christian are you? Keeping it all to yourself. That's selfish. You're supposed to sacrifice and die. No, you're supposed to live out of death. <laughs> they said, no, lest there's not enough for both of us. See, I can't give you my experience of the Holy Spirit. You've got to encounter him for yourself. You've got to dig your own well. And God will give you the shovel. And God will quickly find it's not far below the surface. He gives you the energy to get the energy. He's so kind to us. Now, the work of the Spirit is twofold. When you got born again, you were saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. No man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And when you received Christ, you received the divine Spirit, who is God himself forever and ever dwelling in you. And you got him on the inside forever untouchable but the second operation of the spirit is when he fills you and now it's not so much that you've got him it's now that he's got you he's filled you full or he's baptized you into himself in the power of the spirit the spirit tenderizes our hearts he intensifies passion. Romans 5.8 The love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given unto us. The Holy Spirit deepens our revelation by walking us down the corridors of mirrors to give increased revelation of who He is and how beautiful and how wonderful He is and how He feels emotionally about you and me. 
and the Holy Spirit anoints us with power. The Greek word is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. So that we might do the works of Jesus, which are supernatural for his glory. <laughs> Ephesians 5 verse 18 is an important word to us. Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But do get drunk or be filled with the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, I had the privilege of going down to what was called Harvey House in the city of Harvey. Not a pleasant city. It's the armpit of southern Chicago. And I had the privilege of working in what was called Restoration House, Harvey House, with alcoholics and drug addicts who were in a program there. I didn't know much about alcoholism or drug addiction because I don't know if they had it when I was growing up. At least they didn't have it where I lived. And so I sat down there and I, I just wanted to listen. So I, I listened to these men who'd been trapped in alcoholism and in drug addiction. And I found out that alcoholism is actually a worse addiction than drugs. I mean, they're both, both bad addictions, but, but alcoholism was, uh, they said, stronger than drugs. They could break from drugs, but alcohol. And they said, the thing about alcoholism is this. When you begin to try and get dry, which may take a period of time, and then if you slip and you go back into alcoholism, you don't start again. It goes straight back to the place where you were before you started to get dry. Now, the scripture is clearly admonishing us not to get to be drunkards on alcohol. But I would suggest to us, it is encouraging us to be alcoholics of the Holy Spirit, who is the new wine. You see, when you get drunk, I've never been drunk, but I understand, and I've seen it in movies, and it's funny, even though it's very serious, They'll hug a lamppost. Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, I love you. You get full of God's Holy Spirit. You'll put your arms around the most unpleasant person in the church and kiss them. You full of the Holy Spirit? Hmm? See, now some of us need to be filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is a moment some of us need a top-up. Which are you this morning? Have you been baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit? Filled, full to overflowing. So generous drunkards are. You want some money? Yeah, you can take what you want. Yeah, take the $100 bill, I don't care. including me, need to get drunk with $100 bills. How about this Christmas? A friend of mine, talking to him this week, he gave a $100 bill to each of his grandchildren and said, I want you to pray and talk with mommy and daddy about whom you might give that to. What was behind that? A foolish, drunken grandpa wanting to teach his children about the real true meaning of Christmas. You could do that. Maybe 10 instead of 100, depending upon how many grandchildren you've got. <laughs> Verses 10 to 13. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards came the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said to them, I don't know you. End of parable. Short instruction. 
clear application. Watch, therefore, you don't know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. I think it's very unfair. I think it's a rotten ending to a story. The door was shut. It was midnight. The bridegroom came. There was a trumpet. You want to hear it again? Midnight. The time of the darkest part of the night. And the bride has made herself ready. Here he comes. Here we come. Ready? You're never going to forget this parable. see, Jesus is coming as a bridegroom, but he's also a king. He's a bridegroom with a bride, but he's a king with an army. And the bride, up until his coming, has a helmet, not a veil. A shield, not a bouquet. Army boots, rather than delicate satin shoes. A breastplate of righteousness. A fire in her eyes that's a romance with the bridegroom, but a determination for the king. These three faces, the bridegroom, king, and judge. Oh my goodness, why did you have to throw that in? A judge? Yes, a judge. A judge who's coming back to judge the nations and everybody in this church. Do you know that in the judge's hand, he holds a book. It's called the book of life. And your name, if you've given your life to the Christ, your name is written there very clearly, indistinguishably, irrevocably impossible to ever eliminate. Written, dare I say it, with silver, the metal of redemption and gold, which we purchased freely. And he's recording our works for Jesus. He's writing them down. Oh my gosh, what else is he writing down? Nothing that isn't cleansed by the blood of the Christ. All your good works, all the good things that you've done, the little cup of cold water. You see, the Holy Spirit in us is supernatural and therefore his fruit is supernatural. The inner reproduces exactly on the outside what is on the inside. So if the Holy Spirit is divinely God and is supernatural, and I go and raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out demons, we would like that, but few of us in this room do that so far. But as the kingdom comes closer the supernatural works of healing and signs and wonders and miracles towards the consummation of the age will increase through and in the church. But let me encourage you with this. Jesus also talked about the cup of cold water. It was coming from the same inspiration. It's coming from the same supernatural. So I'm suggesting to us that the cup of cold water is equally supernatural and equally recorded as the raising of the dead. That's you're included in this. He's writing it down. Selah. Why is he writing it down? So that he will reward you. He said, well, I'm too humble to need to be rewarded. No, 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 no. It's part of your inheritance. It's part of the inheritance of this church. That's why we want to meet in small groups and pray. That's why we want to bring in the homeless and love. 
That's why we want to be generous to those that have not. That's why we want to comfort the widow and the widower and take care of our family, which is his. Isn't it beautiful? Aren't you glad to be sitting here this morning? Don't you want to play your part more fully? Selah. My wife, <clears throat> some many years ago, began writing to a prisoner locked up for murder. Life. So it's nice, but it's not very supernatural. It's absolutely supernatural if it was inspired by the supernatural spirit who's in us. I want to show you something to encourage you about these poor virgins that got left out and the door was shut. Because whenever you wander outside or I wander outside the circumference of God's will, he's immediately responding to restore me and bring me back into the circle of his love. I, I want to show you how he does this. What happened to these poor foolish virgins? These bridesmaids that got locked out. You see, he said, I never, I don't know you. Whereas in Matthew 7, when he's dealing with unbelievers, he said, I never knew you. He knows you. So this is not about losing your salvation, being locked out of heaven. It means that right now, do you know what? I don't know that intimate walk with you, but I want it. And I'm pulling you back into the circle. And let me show you how I can do it if you will respond and deal with the inside. Now there's a young couple here. I want to show you how Jesus restores. They're a lovely, happy, married couple. Forgive me, Lord, for what I'm about to do. <laughs> and, and let us suppose, with, with great alacrity of mind, that you can turn the clock back to when he had hair. And when he was a young man. And he lived in the fine city of Aurora, a few miles south. Now, this is going to be class participation for a moment. And she, of course, you don't need to turn the clock back at all with this beauty, for she has not changed one inch. And she is sitting graciously or standing in the city of St. Charles. Now, what I'm trying to demonstrate to you about these five who seemed to be locked out is an understanding of the Hebrew wedding. And in these days that Jesus is talking about with this critical, important parable, he's appealing to their understanding and their knowledge of how a Jewish wedding would take place. And this is how it would happen. The bridegroom is in some village further away than where the bride is. But they've planned the wedding to be here in St. Charles. But we've got to get him from Aurora to St. Charles, passing through Batavia, Geneva, until St. Charles. And you know what they did? At each little village or city, they would have a celebration. And actually, the wedding took at least a week. I need some bridesmaids or groomsmen. You should never sit at the front when I'm preaching. <laughs> Here we are. And another, and another, please come. And another, please come. And another, please come. And Jeff, please come. And Don, and Laura, and Bam. Can you come? I know you're first-time visitors, but not embarrass you. I won't embarrass you. I promise. I have been known to break my promise. Right. Come, Kim. Okay, we've got some bridesmen. Could you please show me your lamps full of oil? Good, good, good. Now, we're going to go up to Aurora to bring back in the bridegroom 
So I'd like you to come, and you to come, and you to come, and your lamp? Oh, no oil. Your, your lamp? Suzanne, I'm disappointed. No oil. Jeff? Oh, you've got oil. Yes, you can go. Your, no oil. Oh, Don, no oil. Kim, where's the oil? Well, go buy some oil. But for you, the door is locked for Aurora. Listen. For Aurora. Let's go. We're going to have a celebration. Greet the, greet the, uh, the bridegroom. Here we are. And we're going to play a very nice... You're going to have a celebration for one night. And you're going to have a very nice... Focus now. Come on. Bringing us down to Batavia. Woo! Stop. Didn't they do good? Now, we want to get from Batavia ultimately to St. Charles. These are called Perusias. The coming of God. Revivals, you might call them. They're moments round through church history where God, where Jesus has come, revived the church and touched the culture with what's called a coming, a parousia, an awakening. You want to have another parousia? You remember in the 1700s, the great awakening in this nation? And then the second great awakening in the 1800s. And then the Azusa Street revival in the 1900s. And what about the 20th with the awakening? And how about 2021, 2022? Would you like to be part of a Perusia? Yes, we would. So, Sila. Did you get some more oil? You did? Go and join them. You still lazy thing. You got some? I don't know what to say. You're so distracted. You're a Martha in the kitchen. Goodness gracious me. It's not prophetic. Kim, I'm disappointed. But as for you, you Batavia-rites... Let's go and have a celebration. Let's have a parousia. Look what I'm doing. He who has this hope shares it with others. See, I promise you there is another wave coming. There is another Parisian, not on my authority, but what the Word of God teaches. Wave after wave of the mercy and the kindness and the power of God's ultimate purpose. I will have this bride prepared for my king. Well, ready to bring him in. What town are we up to now? Mm, Geneva. Are you wealthy enough to live in Geneva? Come on then. Let's bring... Bring him down to Geneva. Are you getting excited, Fee? Your moment. Let me see your. Let me see if you're. Yes! Bring. You got two. Join the crowd. He who has this hope. This is a blessed hope. This is what the Bible calls the blessed hope. It's his coming. 
This is what we are saved for. This is why we live, for his blessed hope. It's not about just here. The preparation is here, but the hope is coming. That's what motivates us to stick in and to persevere and to not quit. Ready for another freeze? Yeah. Here we are. Here we are in Geneva. Now watch. This is slightly different. Because now the bride is going to get involved. This is actually the last parousia. It's the final parousia. It's when the bride now couples with the bridegroom and brings him into St. Charles. Are you enraptured with the bridegroom? Are you caught up with the bridegroom? Is there a rapture coming? Are you listening? I hope I don't destroy your deep theology about the rapture. But we're not being caught out of wickedness. We, it's the church's finest hour. But we go out to bring him in for the final supper. Don, my dear friend, lift up your lamp. Oh, hallelujah. You got in at the end? My, Kim? Oh, the singing minstrel. Come on in. Are you ready, church, for the final parousia? You have to go back there to St. Charles because we're going to bring the bridegroom up to the bride, the bride up to the bridegroom, and we'll all go in for the final celebration, provided my computer will allow. <laughs> bring him in. Bring her up. Bring her up. You can be seated. Thank you so much for your participation. So having, having been caught up with the bridegroom in Batavia, they now bring him back to St. Charles, that now the kingdom of God has come on earth as it is in heaven. And the king has returned to set up his rule over all the nations to bring righteousness and peace at his second coming, for which we are now in preparation. Let me show you this wave after wave after wave after wave after wave. There's another wave coming. My question to you this morning, seriously, and I'm done. Is that you're going to be one of those surfers that's waiting for the next wave and you missed that one? You're going to catch this next wave with your lamp full of oil. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat in a minute and come and get filled with the Holy Spirit. Or come and get topped up with the Holy Spirit to reignite you, to re-energize you, to encourage you again that we're going together as a family in this church. This is how you may respond. Yeah, the musicians can come. I don't, I don't know what your theology is, but me, I want to be so caught up with Jesus that I just go straight through. Enoch walked with God and was not. He walked so close with God. That's what I want. I want to walk closely with God in my attitude in my serving, in my marriage, in my church. God said to Enoch, you know what? We're walking so close together. Why don't you just stay up here with me? Don't go back home tonight. And he was not. Went straight through. And here I'm calling for your response. Prepare. Go back to the things you did at once. Go prepare the inner. 
Go back to your quiet time and your devotional time. Make place to meet with Jesus. Read the Bible. Pray. Be filled and be wise. Make wise choices for the secret place. Cultivate the inner. And secondly, prioritize the outer. Prioritize the number of people you can meet with, the number of things that you can do. Prioritize them so they're fueled by the inner. Stay serving, but stay burning in your serving. Would you stand with me? Here's how you can respond. There's something about getting out of your seat and coming forward as a physical response to the Word of God. There'll be people here to pray with you. Or maybe you just want to pray on your own on the floor. Kneeling or standing. Lying or jumping. You come now. Right now. We would like to pray with you to be filled to be topped to respond to the word of God wherever the selah in your heart is making it clear you come just come out of your seat say oh God here I am don't be afraid just come and meet with Lord Jesus again by response and say Lord You've spoken to me within your word. I've heard your voice within your word. And I'm responding.